On this episode of Mike Drop Dallas, we explore the name, image, and likeness debate in college sports with attorney and NIL expert, Caitlin Morgan. Then you are going to want to stay tuned for our visit with Savannah Hugh-Muller. She works for the Cowboys in brand marketing, but also on the fantastic game presentation you experience at Stars Games. We get into all of that and much more. It's season four, episode three. So let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to Mike Drop Dallas, everybody, the official podcast of the Dallas Sports Commission. Kevin Sullivan here, along with Monica Paul, the executive director of the Sports Commission, and of course, our on-air producer, Next Level, Marcus Carr. Before we get to our guest, Monica, we got a great show today. We have had some interesting mic drop moments uh, in Dallas. The Rangers, of course, returning to the playoffs for the first time since 2016 and winning game one. Now, as we record this on Wednesday morning, we don't know what's going to happen in game two, but what a great accomplishment for Chris Young, friend of the podcast, uh, to uh, to get back in the postseason and 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 uh, and win game one. I think there's great things in store for the Rangers. What do you think? Yeah, very exciting to see the Rangers back in the playoff hunt. Very uh, strong start to the season, I think, here locally. There might have been some doubters uh, uh, towards the end of the season, but at the end of the day, they pulled it out. Uh, great uh, game yesterday, and uh, fingers crossed, uh, maybe we can just uh, sum this one up in two and head on to the next round. That would be uh, fantastic. Another mic drop moment. The Dallas Mavericks in Abu Dhabi is part of the uh, an NBA uh, uh, event over there, taking on the Minnesota Timberwolves in two games. And where the mic drop moment comes in is go to Instagram, everybody, and watch Kyrie Irving and a bunch of his teammates riding camels uh, in the in the desert. You ever ridden a camel, Monica? Would you do that? No, Sully, I have not ridden a camel. Although I, I'm open to trying everything once. So uh, I've given up riding horses a, a while back as well. I think my Number one question first would be, how do you get up on a camel? But open to the experience, for sure. You will see in the videos exactly how it works. So I'll give you that uh, that that tease. I had hoped to be able to report a mic drop moment from the Ryder Cup in Rome last week, which I had the good fortune of working with uh, our good friends at the PGA of America, uh, of course, now, now based in Frisco. Uh, we had a lot of Dallas connections. Dallas is always in the middle of all the big stories. Of course, Jordan Spieth and Scotty Scheffler, Dallas natives on the U.S. team, didn't quite go uh, our way this time. It was a great experience for me personally, especially being part of uh, Zach Johnson, the U.S. captain, uh, part of Zach Johnson's team, a uh, little support team there. He is a, a wonderful person, did a great job as captain, and it was a great experience to uh, to get to do that, again, with the, uh, with the Dallas Connections. You know, one of the things you should do when you're co-hosting a podcast is turn your phone off. So I apologize uh, for that. So no mic drop moment for the U.S. team, but you, Europe will see it at Bethpage Black in 2025. Uh, Monica, I always ask you what's coming up at the Sports Commission, but this week I know exactly what is on, in, on your mind. Uh, it's, you know, Dallas is always the number one city for sports business. We know that from the Sports Business Journal. But this week it's the number one city for Monica, Paul, and her Texas Longhorns. We've got Saturday's All-State Red River rivalry game. 
Uh, both teams undefeated at 5-0. and Your Longhorns uh, are ranked third. Oklahoma way down the rankings at number 12. Last year, the Longhorns won 49 to nothing. You want me to repeat that? Yes, please. 49 to nothing, ending a four-game skid in the series. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? Are you excited? What's going to happen on Saturday? Oh, I think I'm very excited. One, uh, this game and matchup rivalry is so important for the city of Dallas for uh, Fair Park here, State Fair of Texas. Uh, there's just a different energy here uh, all week uh, going into this matchup. Uh, I think especially uh, important. It is the last time that they'll be playing under the Big 12 Conference umbrella. Uh, and for me, very exciting because uh, there's a lot of optimism uh, with our Texas Longhorns this year, ranked three, four, depending on uh, what poll you're looking at. I think ESPN game day will be here. Uh, but I never try to count my chickens, you know, before they hatch here, uh, Sully. I, I will be here for the game. I will have that fun experience uh, with all the fans out there. Uh, but I'll be waiting to, to you know, celebrate uh, until after the game is over. I, I'm not sure we can do 49 to 0 uh, two years in a row. I am uh, optimistic that we can win. Uh, but you got two, you have two great programs here, and you never know what's going to happen at the at the Red River rivalry, uh, you know, this, uh, this uh, matchup and uh, event brings in estimated over $51 million in economic impact to the city. Uh, people start arriving Wednesday, Thursday uh, to take in, well, for sure, the state fair um, and, and all that has to offer, um, which is, I think, something special for a rivalry game. If you look at other rivalry games out there across the country, but then also um, great experiences all throughout the city. We, in fact, host uh, in, in conjunction with the Cotton Bowl Athletic Association Red River Rivalry uh, Luncheon on, on uh, Friday. So longstanding tradition there. So um, a, lot of, a lot of excitement this weekend. Well, and for more on the All-State Red River Rivalry, we have our very own Next Level Marcus Carr on special assignment in Cotton Bowl Plaza. So... Marcus, let's uh, go over to you for a special report. College football's most unique rivalry returns to Dallas this weekend as the Oklahoma Sooners and Texas Longhorn face off in the All-State Red River rivalry at Cotton Bowl Stadium. The Red River rivalry is one of the most intense and passionate rivalries in all of sports dating back to 1900. And since 1929, fans of both teams travel from all over to Cotton Bowl Stadium. A rivalry so storied that nearly 200,000 people come to Fair Park on the day of the game. This year, the stakes are even higher. Both the Sooners and Longhorns are undefeated and ranked inside the top 15. Oklahoma is looking to bounce back from last year's blowout loss to Texas, while the Longhorns are looking to extend their lead in a series all-time. More than just a football game, the Red River rivalry is a cultural event. The game is played at Cotton Bowl Stadium, which is surrounded by the State Fair of Texas. The atmosphere at the game is electric, and the fans are some of the most passionate in the country. The Red River rivalry is a major economic driver. This year alone, it's supposed to expected to bring in $51 million of economic impact to the Dallas area. And thanks to the Dallas Sports Commission and their great partners, Fair Park and the Cotton Bowl Stadium are set to get bigger and better. 
Following this year's State Fair of Texas, renovations will begin to the Cotton Bowl Stadium to further elevate the fan experience. The $140 million project will honor the stadium's celebrated legacy and distinctive architecture with sweeping enhancements elevating the fan experience. This weekend is a must-see event for any college fan. The game will be electric, Cotton Bowl Stadium will be buzzing, and all eyes will be on Dallas this weekend. Back to you, Monica and Sully. Thanks, Marcus, and all the best to Mitchell Gleber and our friends at State Fair of Texas for another great run this year. And hopefully, uh, Monica, you have a reason to celebrate uh, your Longhorns on, on Saturday late afternoon-ish. Uh, all right, back in a moment to talk NIL with attorney Caitlin Morgan. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Get ready, sports fans. This fall is stacked with events right here in the Big D. From food sport to football, the number one sports business city has something for everyone. Head to DallasSports.org to sign up for access to exclusive ticket announcements, discounts, and pre-sales to be part of the next big win. Thanks, Rachel. And now we are really pleased to be joined by Caitlin Morgan. She's a partner in the litigation practice at the Dallas office of law firm DLA Piper. She's in the media, sports, and entertainment practice. And she's an expert in name, image, and likeness issues that are, of course, uh, turning uh, intercollegiate athletics upside down. Welcome to Mike Drop Dallas, Caitlin. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Okay, Caitlin. So uh, I, I teach a, a class at SMU, not law or legal aspects solely, but that is a topic of one of our classes. And I have a lot of student athletes in there as well. So NIL is a, a hot topic always. And sometimes I'm a little bit, oh boy, how do I tackle this uh, from a, uh, well, educational perspective, but just keeping up with it, uh, uh, the, the changes that take place, the differences that are out there. Can you give us a brief tutorial on what exactly is NIL and how did we uh, come to come to this point? Yeah, it's um, kind of a long winding road that in the past two years has really become, you know, kind of a train charging out of the station. Um, you know, the most recent in terms of student athletes having the ability to monetize their NIL, that's really recent. That only has been occurring since July 1st, 2021. So we're two years in. And what happened that was, you know, instrumental in all this then was the NCAA developed what is called the interim policy, the interim NIL policy. And that opened the door for student athletes to be compensated for the use of their name, image, and likeness. So things like, you know, trading cards, or if a student athlete wanted to partner with an apparel company and wear their apparel and receive some kind of compensation for that. Prior to July 1st, 2021, Doing that would end up with the student athlete being potentially sanctioned, ineligible to play under NCAA rules. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of movement towards we want this to happen. Um, before it did happen, the NCAA had a working group that took, a, you know, had a lot of meetings, did a lot of, I guess, digging to figure out the best way to bring about NIL rule changes. Um, but what ended up happening was states decided to take the reins. And we saw, starting with California, a bunch of different states across the nation enacting different versions of NIL rules um, or legislation, rather. And they all 
get to the same point, but they have different ways of getting there. So they all say, student athletes, you can contract with third parties. A lot of them say you can use an agent. Um, you can monetize your name, image, and likeness. Some say that schools can't have anything to do with it. Others say they can. And of course, there's no national standard. So we're watching it develop pretty quickly. You know, 2021 was really the year we all sat back and watched to say, okay, is there is there a market for this? And who's going to be able to take advantage of that, you know, before that, before we've seen how robust and I guess diverse the NIL market became, there was the thought that only the star athletes would be able to benefit. And that's not been the case. We've seen women athletes do really well. We've seen, you know, Olympic student athletes also do really well. So you know, I think you summed it up by saying it's always changing. You know, I read an article today talking about the NCAA maybe looking at new rules again. So depending on the day, it does change. Well, I don't know how you keep up with it. And, you know, hard for me uh, as a as an adjunct professor, too, to keep up with it, because when you actually refer back to your textbook and the notes that come with it, it's already out of date uh, by the time you're you're teaching the class. So you know, the very first story, NIL story, I think I remember, uh, you know, does, uh, oh, I guess is important for me. It, it, it was uh, Quinn Ewers leaving South Lake Carroll a year early in 2021 to sign a million dollar NIL deal uh, with Ohio State. Of course, he later transferred to my UT Longhorns, um, where he's now the starting quarterback. Uh, what's the, I guess, current state of play or what are you seeing out there? um of specific deals you know it's the deals are really interesting because they range from zero dollars to multi-million dollar deals you know there are just promote our product and you get to do that um we see a lot of in-kind deals so you know you get to wear it you get to keep this apparel if you wear it you get to you know eat these burgers if you take pictures after the game being at our restaurant but then you know we're also seeing big name companies get involved you know some of the big athletic companies of the world and you know other other third parties that are in the sponsorship space the other really interesting things that we've seen are you know two one the entire teams have gotten NIL deals in some instances um, so that's been a change. And then the rise of collectives and collectives, of course, are just groups of alumni that were traditionally donating generally pretty large sums of money to their alma mater, and they would donate it to the school directly or maybe to the athletics department. They're now pooling their resources together as a collective, and they can now use that money to donate to maybe, you know, the football team if it's a big football school or the hockey team or the softball or baseball team. So that's been a big change that we've seen as well that we're watching to see how that shakes out. Well, you mentioned also that the NIL has been uh, beneficial for some, you know, women and female sports uh, out there. What are you seeing? I mean, sometimes it's not uh, the, you know, major million dollar deals that, that we may be seeing in, in women's and, some even other Olympic type sports, but um, what are some benefits there for NIL for some of maybe the, the smaller sports um, that don't have the revenue attached uh, uh, like a football or, or a basketball? What are you seeing in that space? Yeah, and I think the really interesting thing here with NIL is it really depends on the, the student athlete. 
So I think that's why we've seen a lot of, you know, in particular women's sports. I was on a panel earlier this year with, you know, Gabby Reese, the former volleyball star model, who this was a huge issue for her, right? <laughs> Back when she was playing. Um, and then, you know, an agent who was working with primarily women student athletes. They were saying, you know, women are very good at, at monetizing this because it really is, you know, there's a lot of components that go into what's going to make a student athlete particularly successful in the NIL space. You know, it's sure you can get a good deal by having name recognition, but you've got to put in the effort and then take that platform and really expand it. You know, we saw the the Cavender twins have really taken their brand and or their name and made it a brand back when they were playing basketball. So, you know, there are a lot of student athletes, a lot of gymnasts that have been really good at just saying, you know, I'll get the, the first deal to get in the door and then I'm going to take that. I'm going to show how good I am and I'm going to translate that into the next deal and the next deal and the next deal. And we're seeing people really become very influential in, in their sport and their community um, as a result of having this, this new opportunity. Caitlin, I, I remember, you know, we always say every big story comes through Dallas. There's a Dallas connection and this is no exception, not just the Quinn Ewers, South Lake Carroll high school example Monica gave, but uh, Ed O'Bannon, you know, sort of in many ways got this going. He played for the Mavericks for a short period of time in 1997. Good guy. Um, and in 2011, he sued because he had seen himself in a college. Uh, I think it was an EA Sports college basketball video game. And he saw a guy with a shaved head who I think was left-handed wearing, you know, number zero. And he said, I should be compensated for this. That's clearly me. And so the, to me, the original intent of all this was that if the school is going to sell the jersey, or if a national video game is going to put you in the game, you should be compensated for the commercial use of your name, image, your likeness. So how did we get from that, you know, compensating a student athlete for the commercial use of their name, image, your likeness to what is now clearly pay for play, where these collectives are raising money to be sent to high school recruits. There are high school recruits now charging schools $5,000 to come on a recruiting visit. Uh, how do we get to pay for play from what the original intent of the Ed O'Bannon case was back in 2011? Yeah, I mean, you're, it's interesting you note that because a lot of times they do say it all started with this video game, you know, NCAA, college basketball, college football, that really started this whole process, you know, over a decade ago um, to where we've gotten now. And, you know, I think Pay for play is really something that I know those in intercollegiate athletics and, you know, the NCAA and the schools alike are trying to avoid, you know, that's been the kind of bright line rule is to avoid those kinds of inducements. You know, if you come here, you will get X deal um, disguised as NIL. And those have been the guardrails that, you know, they're really trying to hold on to and trying to implement to avoid that entire system. Um, the Ed O'Bannon case was really interesting because it was just like you said, these avatars that were almost identical to the student athletes themselves and saying, well, I've got this right of publicity and you're not paying me for it. And that case, you know, made its way through the courts and interestingly, interestingly enough resulted in a holding that 
certain benefits to student athletes couldn't be restricted, but those benefits related to the cost of attendance, not anything to do with NIL or right of publicity stuff. It was more going from, you know, the prior model, which permitted scholarship of room books and board to saying, well, now you can get more, right? If you need a computer, that's part of your cost of attendance, the federal standard that's, that's set for every school. And, you know, that was the first case. There was the Alston case that was the, the second case that kind of followed that one that challenged more NCAA rules that related to the payments or I guess benefits to student athletes in some respects. And these cases have kind of changed the landscape bit by bit by bit. So I think that's one facet of it. I think the other facet of it is, you know, back in, I guess, you know, 2009, 2010, when these video games were big, we didn't have social media the way we have it now. So being an influencer wasn't something you could major in in college. So I think those two things together have really created this explosion. And, you know, again, it's a great opportunity for student athletes, but you know, there should be some guardrails on it because otherwise it's a different, it's a different system. You know, there are, we look at students and we have some students entering into multi-million dollar multi-year contracts and, that's, you know, that's, that's, there's a lot to consider with that. So, you know, there is that kind of protection aspect, I think, as well, that goes along with it in this unique space. And as it has become sort of the Wild West, states have, you know, put their own laws on the books. What do you think the chances are of congressional action where, where there would be, a, where there would become a national law about, about name, image, and likeness? Yeah, it's really tough to, it's tough to say. I know that's been a big push for a number of years now. And, you know, there's, there's traction. Um, and I think there's a lot of movement now that seems to be gaining steam um, towards some kind of a national standard, just because it is so tough. You know, you could play in Texas and have different rules and then transfer to Florida and you've got different laws. And we're asking what students to figure out whether those apply and, you know, all these other issues. What happens if you enter into a contract with, you know, a trading card company while you're in Texas and then you move to Florida, but that contract's for the span of your career. Well, does it go with you? Does it change? Should it change? Because Florida law is different. I don't know. So a national standard standard sure would be helpful. Um, but you know, as you know, it's really hard to predict anything with Congress and what what they're going to do. They, they, yeah, they've got their hands full right now. It's hard to imagine this actually. Getting <laughs> okay, another angle, of this you know, there was rumblings at Northwestern a few years ago about the students essentially forming a union uh, and and collectively bargaining for this stuff. I mean, as a labor somebody who knows labor law, what how would what what do you think about that idea? You know, the, there have been a lot of efforts lately, and that's been kind of the more recent push has been our student athletes, employees, should they be treated as employees, should they unionize? And, you know, I think we're hearing a lot of one side of the story on that, because there are a lot of other things to consider with employment status and unionization. And, you know, some of the biggest things that, you know, I'm, I'm following and looking at and you know, I think everybody that is interested in this space is is starting to consider is, you know, what what happens to all the sports? So, you know, a lot of these things, employee status, unionization, kind of all center around some kind of, you know, payment or revenue share um, for student athletes. And of course, not, well, most collegiate sports don't make money for their schools, 
the ones that do, that money typically goes back into funding the, the sports that don't tend to be on TV or don't make money. So then the next, I guess, snowball to watch roll down the hill is what would happen to those sports? You know, if you have to now, you know, actually take that budget item to pay certain student athletes, do you pay them all? Can you keep all of these sports going? What about Title IX? I mean, do we end up with schools that have the, you know, the football, the basketball programs, and then an equal number of women's sports, but then everything else goes down to maybe a club level level? Um, for all the other teams, you know, it's just, it's really kind of the only thing you can predict in college sports is that it's going to be different tomorrow than it was today and yesterday. So it's hard to predict it, but it is, it's a really interesting question. Um, it's a really tough one. And I think there's just so much to be considered as we think through unionization and employee status. Before I hand you back to uh, Monica, I love to ask litigators this question. Has there ever been a TV show or a movie where the courtroom was depicted realistically? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> My favorite is when I have friends, like, you know, they'll call me up because they're watching whatever new show it is. And, you know, I'll have watched it maybe. And I'll say, okay, we never get a case, go to deposition and trial in the same two days. Like, I've never seen that. <laughs> um, you know, obviously there are some shows that use actual courtrooms. So, you know, I've, I'm, a, I'm licensed in Texas, also New York, and the New York jury selection room has been used and a lot of shows. So in terms of depicting a room, they've gotten that right. But otherwise, no, never. <laughs> and that is so disappointing. I know. Um, I think Monica is a fan of the Lincoln Lawyer, too. And we're just going to pretend it's realistic. It's oh, more exciting. I mean, it's really exciting to be a litigator, too. But it's a lot of reading and writing. And that does not make great TV. <laughs> well, you know, Lincoln Lawyer. I just uh, I don't know how I missed suits back in the day. So okay. well, we could have lots of questions on these. Uh, <laughs> Uh, law shows uh, to to see what's real and not. Maybe that's a whole nother segment that we have with Caitlin uh, Silly at some point. But um, Caitlin, before we let you go, I always try to provide some tidbits for some of my students or, you know, young professionals trying to get into business, whether it is uh, on the sports law side, the marketing. I Sometimes I get a lot of uh, young students who think they want to be a GM or a broadcaster or something like that. But from your perspective and your journey, uh, what what advice would you give to, to young people trying to get in the, the sports industry? Yeah, I mean, I think my advice would be to take every opportunity and then build on it. So for me in particular, you know, I got my first sports case when I was maybe a second or third year lawyer. And it wasn't a big role. You know, half the time I was just walking documents into a room with, you know, the sports client. But I took that. I made the photocopies. I read every single thing I could do off the clock. You know, you kind of just you you immerse yourself in it. Nothing's too daunting that would make you say no. You just work harder and learn your way to be able to do it and nothing's below you. Um, so I think that really matters because you know taking the opportunity is one thing, but then making it into the next opportunity is where sometimes we don't put in just you know the extra kind of sweat equity for lack of a better phrase. So that's what I've really tried to do. And then really learning the, you know, the I want to say the business of sports, the organization of sports, the the way sports works, you know, if it's a particular entity or organization that you know, a, a young professional has the opportunity to work with in, in law or and otherwise in the sports field, really figure out what makes that organization tick, you know, what are their goals, what are their challenges, and try to figure out then how you bring value to the table. 
Wow, uh, that's some pretty good advice, Sally. Uh, we ask this question a lot. So, so Caitlin, I think you may just be rising up to the top. Uh, and uh, actually, this whole segment, I'm or this whole podcast, quite honestly, I, I may have to uh, ensure my my class uh, listens to it and, and watches it because some really great stuff that you shared with us. So, uh, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks very much. That's been fantastic. Awesome. And now over to Rachel for a word from one of our sponsors. Get ready, sports fans. This fall is stacked with events right here in the Big D. From food sport to football, the number one sports business city has something for everyone. Head to dallasports.org to sign up for access to exclusive ticket announcements, discounts, and pre-sales to be part of the next big win. Thanks, Rachel. And now we are really happy to welcome Savannah Hugh-Muller to Mike Draft Dallas. She is the brand programs manager in her sixth year with the Cowboys, but she's also a multimedia content creator she does so many things, host of the Cowboys Flashback on the team's YouTube channel, the Mickey Spagnola podcast, which is great, uh, game presentation for the stars we're going to talk about. We have a lot of people, Savannah, on Mic Drop who have cool jobs and interesting backgrounds, and I would put you at the top of the list. You, you, know, you clearly have hustled your whole way. Starting in high school, I found uh, Carlsbad Lancer's videos online that you did as a high school student follow savannah at sports savvy on social media i actually got some makeup tips on your tiktok about the night you went to beyonce uh this is uh you you really we really appreciate you making some time i want to start with uh, your your journey monica just asked caitlin morgan who is a top you know sports and entertainment lawyer and nil expert about her journey and she had a great answer in fact uh, monica is going to make this episode of the mic of the mic drop required listening for her sports management class at SMU. So let's pick up where Caitlin left off. You, you've got, you have so much going on uh, in your professional life at such a young age. Uh, what advice do you have? Tell us, talk a little bit about your journey and what advice you would give to young people who say, I want a job like yours. I want to get into sports. Yeah, Absolutely. I think from a very young age, I always knew I wanted to work in the sports industry. And I was very blessed in high school, given the opportunity to join the school's broadcasting program, which was actually nationally ranked um, at the high school level. And I really fell in love with that side of sports because there's so many different areas that people can go into with sports. And I found my passion in the broadcast production media side. And I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. So I shot for the stars and I actually went over to UNT. I thought that was the best program for me to continue my journey. And it was amazing. I cannot say any more great things about North Texas. And I was um, in college and one of the biggest things that I had learned in my time there was how much you have to put yourself out there. I think a lot of students try and put themselves in a little bubble and they want to learn. But I think the biggest thing for any college students or any young professionals wanting to break into this industry is you have to make those stepping stones for yourself. So you have to get a little bit out of your comfort zone. And so if that means you know, making some of those networking connections or reaching out to people and volunteering your time 
just to, you know, get your name out there. That was definitely key for me. I would volunteer for many, many events and just try and network with people to, to get my foot in the door. All right, let's, that's that, you know, I could tell you you did a lot of internships and you always hustled and that led you into your, your video production component led you into this game presentation. You've done stuff for the Rangers, for FC Dallas, but, but you're currently uh, part of the team that, that produces the game presentation for the stars. So just generally speaking for the, from a fan experience standpoint, what are the key elements to make, to create a fantastic, memorable, you know, unique game presentation? You know, honestly, it's really about the energy of what's happening on the ice, especially, especially for the Dallas stars. That's such a fun environment. The fans are fun. They enjoy being there. It's a live very lively event. And so we're trying to keep the engagement up with the fans based on what's happening on the ice. So we play off of what is happening. If there is a, a penalty and on, on the opposing team and we have our opportunity on the power play, we're doing our best in those moments to try and hype up the fans and get them excited because that gets the guys excited on the ice. And ultimately we like to have fun with our fans too. Um, bring in some different elements that, give fans an opportunity to get on the video board or be more interactive and push for those fan engagement opportunities. So what, you know, I actually had a conversation yesterday with an NHL executive and I told him that we were going to have you on the podcast this morning. And he said, the stars game presentation is fantastic. It's creative. So what about it is, you know, where does the creativity come in the things that maybe different that no one else does or, you know, do you have a favorite fan engagement element on the, on the video board that may be unique to the stars or started with the stars? One thing that I like about the stars is one of the things that we push is Texas hockey. And we do this because we are the only team in the state at the NHL level. And so we really hone in on the Texas idea of everything. So Texas hockey, we have a lot of implements of country music. We have an element where we're playing a few different country songs and we get all the fans involved and we'll show shots of them if they're wearing cowboy hats or their jersey in a cowboy hat. So we have a lot of fun little things like that. But I will say uh, kudos to Kevin Harp. He is the director of um, game presentation for the stars and he is just full of ideas and he, he's always looking to push the limits and find something that's new for the stars. So not only do you help with uh, stars presentation and all the creativity, but you're also Cowboys uh, brands program manager, I believe. Tell us about that role. Absolutely. So for my brand programs manager role with the Cowboys, I help oversee our fan club, our fan experiences, our hip hop team and drumline, which is the DC R&B um, rhythm and blues. I oversee our mascot program, Rowdy, and I also oversee our youth camps, youth football for flag and cheer. <laughs> it's a lot, but I, uh, I absolutely love it. I have my hands on a lot of different areas with the Cowboys and getting to work with all those groups of such amazing, talented individuals. And then also being able to reach fans and reach youth. It's, it's really an incredible, incredible role. You must have a lot on your shoulders because, you know, Cowboys are perennially uh, named the most valuable brand in sports. Uh, 
clearly a lot more goes into that than just winning football games. Uh, um, what do you think makes the Cowboys brand so special and so powerful? I really believe down to my core, the second I had started working for the Cowboys six years ago, it's amazing being in a family environment. This is a family owned team and they instill those core values. And it's a very big family environment here. All the people that you work with, you're working holidays together. You're with constantly because you're going through the exact same things and you really truly are a family. And I think that's something that does make the Cowboys special. And I think the team feels the exact same way. That's how we have all of our core values here is very family integrated core values. So uh, this weekend, we're going to play the undefeated San Francisco 49ers. Uh, is your is your role there and your job easier if we're winning uh, at the end, if we can win <laughs> with the win this Sunday? I will say it it's a little easier. It's it's nicer when we are winning. The the victory Mondays are always the the best days in the office. Lots of more liveliness and some momentum, and we're really excited for Sunday. My my week right now is we're we're prepping for it. We have a big watch party that we're hosting at AT&T Stadium on Sunday. We're expecting thousands upon thousands of fans to come out for it. And then I also am preparing for all my podcasts that I do throughout the week. And we help cover all the all the things for, for San Francisco. So, Savannah, take us behind the scenes just a little bit, with uh, especially in the, 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 the media content creation that you do. Who are... You know, who is a, a player that is particularly skilled or, or good at engaging with the fans through the things that you do? And, uh, you know, give us a story or a little bit of a sense of what it's like working with the with the players. Absolutely. I would say somebody that I really think is great with fans is Michael Gallup. When we were out at training camp this year, he every single day after practice, he would stay out and autograph for fans until he reached the end of the line. He would also conversate with them. So he would talk to them, engage with them, actually get to know a little bit more about these fans. And I would say he's a very stand-up guy. He does a lot of community relations projects with us where he goes out to different schools and helps with a lot of different promotions that we have here. So he's a really great player to, to have for us as a rep representative of the team. You know, for the next three or four months, the Cowboys and the Stars will overlap. So you're you're working all week. You're doing all this stuff for the Cowboys. And then you're reporting to uh, the newly renovated American Airlines Center with that <laughs> new gigantic uh, video board. How do you balance all of it and still have a little time for the fun stuff that I know you like to do uh, that I saw on your social media at Sports Savvy? How do you how do you make it all work from a personal standpoint with that kind of schedule? I am extremely, extremely skilled at time management. I time block, I put, I know exactly the times I need to get somewhere in order to get something done. And then what time I need to leave to go to the stars game. But what's really great is I have a lot of people that I get to work with that help me out on certain projects and that I can make sure that things are being covered if I have to be somewhere else. But special, especially for me, it's time blocking, time management. I really try and just get it all in. And I know it's long days and long hours. However, sometimes that's just what you got to do to be in sports. You got to keep going. It's weekends, it's long hours, and, and that's how it is. But I love it. 
Well, this has been a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. Way to go on all that you've accomplished. I know how hard you've worked to uh, achieve all this. So on behalf of Monica, thanks to Savannah Hugh-Muller for joining us today. And thanks to Caitlin Morgan from DLA Piper. Great conversation. I learned a few things about NIL. And, and uh, thanks to the Mic Drop uh, production, production crew, uh, Marcus Next Level Car producer, uh, Merrick's Doc Gooden, uh, uh, Alex Gilbert over at uh, the Sports Commission, of course, Tony Fay, our, 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 uh, our leader and showrunner. I really appreciate everybody who helped with this week's episode. And uh, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.